The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. I'm Jan Barris, Vice President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm very pleased to be joined for today's podcast by two very interesting women, Ms. Jasmine Lau and Ms. Tung Ning. Jasmine is the co-founder and executive director of Philanthropy in Motion, and Ning is the director for curriculum development of the China Global Philanthropy Institute. These are two very interesting and relatively new organizations, both committed to developing and improving the nascent philanthropic field in greater China. Also, both of them have been in New York for the past several months as the inaugural Richard Rockefeller Fellows, a new initiative of the Rockefeller Brothers Fund to honor the memory of their chairman, who tragically died in a plane crash a few years ago, and who was himself very committed to assisting the new arena of philanthropy in China. So why don't we start by each of you briefly describing the key things you'd like our listeners to know and understand about your organizations. Ning, why don't we start with you? Okay. So uh, I think my organization is the biggest and the leading infrastructure organization for the nonprofits in China. Uh, so far, we have two campuses, both in Beijing and Shenzhen. I think what our mission is try to uh, fill the gap uh, of the nonprofit sector through two things. One is education, the other is research. So we are doing the nonprofit programs. Uh, education programs as also doing a lot of research project based on the civil society in China. Um, I think what we're unique is we initiated by five world philanthropists, two of them from the U.S. You may know their name, Bill Gates and Ray Dalio from the Bridgewater, and the other three are top Chinese philanthropists. Um, we are focused on one thing, is training and to cultivate philanthropic sector leaders and connecting them to the global resources. Thank you. Jasmine, how about you? Tell us about Philanthropy in Motion. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having us. So I founded Philanthropy in Motion three years ago. Um, it's an organization that seeks to educate the next generation of change makers and leaders um, in China. Um, so we focused on eight, uh, 16 to 30-year-olds um, that are interested in social impact. Uh, we run a number of programs. They're all very experiential education-type programs. Um, so we give uh, young people funds to manage so that they will go out and look at causes that they care about, develop a strategy, uh, develop evaluation techniques, and then finally as a group uh, of a small giving circle, <coughs> they would decide how to give out that money uh, to support uh, social organizations in China. Um, so through this model, we really hope um, to train more young people to be civically minded and to have, um, you know, to understand what is social innovation, what is social impact, and to incorporate that in whatever careers that they go into. And Ning mentioned that the China Global Philanthropy Institute's funding comes from five Philanthropists, where mm -hmm. does your funding come from? Yeah, so we're a social enterprise. So a lot of our programs comes from a fee-for-service model, uh, in which uh, you know universities um, or banks and different pro um, programs working with NextGen would um, you know, pay us to run programs. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a number of foundations who support our work. Mm -hmm. And how large is your staff? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so we have a number of, um, we're a fairly small team of five core staff, um, but we also have a number of consultants and mentors, Mm -hmm. uh, a network of mentors uh, for delivering these types of workshops um, and education programs. And Ning, what about you? How large is the China Global Philanthropy Institute? I think so far in two campers, we have 67, nearly 70 uh, people working for our institute. So that's why we say it's leading and largest in China. Uh, we're infrastructure, so supporting the, uh, the whole uh, nonprofit sector in China. We also have an affiliated uh, organization called China Global, uh, sorry, China uh, Philanthropy Research Institute. It is a university-based nonprofit organization. There's uh, more than 30 people. So totally, for two institutes, we have more than 100 people working. Oh, that's very yeah. large. And your two institutes, one is based in Beijing, yeah, at Beijing Normal University, in, yeah. and the other is in the Shenzhen? The other has Shen- both the office in, and campus in Beijing mm-hmm. and in Shenzhen. In Shenzhen. Yeah. And where do you reside these days? Yeah, I think before that, I'm working in Beijing, but maybe in the future is kind of like the maybe uh, transitions to the locations. Yeah, because our chairman now is in Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with this young and very exciting movement in China, um, can you tell us what's happening? I mean, where did this huge surge in philanthropy, at least it seems huge from the outside, where did this come from and how has this field grown as quickly as it has? Yeah, I think um, maybe I can think about to share some data about uh, some promising uh, opportunities in China. One we're looking into that is the growth of nonprofit organizations. It's very uh, fairly fast trends happened in China. So try to compare like the U.S. and China data. We will see there is a uh, 42% increasing rate for about 10 years. That is uh, from 2006 and to 2015. And also looking at the, the, the data is very interesting is to see the foundation's number is increasingly rapid, uh, rapidly increasing. That for example, 2005, we only have uh, 965 foundations in China, but in 2014, we now have 4,117 foundations. And when you say foundations, I know there's a problem in nomenclature here. Mm -hmm. When you say foundations, do you mean an organization that is like, say, the Ford Foundation or the Luce Foundation, whose sole purpose is to give away money? Or is it more operating foundations? What's the mix? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. A lot of we are asked by people here. They were uh, quite curious about what the foundations type, what the what is run. So I think in China, more than eighty five percent foundations are operating foundation. That is very different from the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, but there is also an increasing trend to see uh, a lot of foundations like. We have some participants in, in, uh, join our uh, philanthropic programs. They're from family members, individual donors. They run their foundation. These are grant-making foundations. So I think most uh, foundations in China are still operating. But there is a very promising trend to see more foundations will be the grant-makers in the future. Okay, and so for our listeners who don't know, can you just briefly describe the difference between the grant-making 
foundations and the operating foundations. Okay. I think the grant making foundation, as you mentioned, just like the Ford Foundation, Gates Foundation, they give money away, they give the grants, and they will um, they give grants to the grantee organizations, like as we receive a lot of grants from these grant making foundations. Mm -hmm. For the operating foundations, uh, I think the model is fairly similar, like the public charities, they raise their funds, um, both can from the individuals and can from the public, the general public. They, they run and operate their own uh, programs, charitable programs. Okay. Yeah. And Jasmine, um, what do you see in this growing, burgeoning complex of whether it's families, newly wealthy Chinese, or volunteers who've come together to start an NGO, what do you see as the biggest challenges for the field of both the nonprofit sector in general, but more specifically for philanthropic entities? Yeah. So I would say um, there's a lot of promise, first off, um, and I think especially for the next generation, there are a lot of young people who are very interested in getting into the sector. Um, so I think around 30% of millennials in China said that they would want to prioritize a career that has some sort of social impact. Hmm. Um, but there are not a lot of channels for them to get involved. Um, and oftentimes the nonprofit, uh, the nonprofit sector so in China suffer from a lack of trust. Um, so there are a number of um, charity scandals that really um, devastated um, the, the sector in the sense that the public uh, are questioning where their money is going. Um, and then there's also a lack of talent going into the sector because of low salaries. But this is also changing. And um, what we are seeing is that um, because millennials are so interested um, in social impact, um, there's um, huge um, upsurge um, in what we call online giving and microphilanthropy. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, um, in there's a equivalent of Giving Tuesday um, in China. Mm -hmm. It's called the Ten Cent Nine yeah, Nine Charity uh, Public Charity, charity Day, day. Um, and there they were able to. Um, in a few short years, uh, now they can raise uh, 44 million U.S. dollars in wow. just one day. Wow. Um, and each 66% um, of these donations come from millennials. Mm -hmm. um, and 95% mm. of these donations come online yeah. uh, from mobile phones as opposed to from a laptop. Um, in the U.S., 16% um, of online donations mm -hmm. come from um a mobile device. It's yeah. still very much on kind of PC and laptops, uh, but in China, it's already kind of moved to a mobile and a much more uh, fast-paced and well-integrated into daily lives. Mm -hmm. So I think um, there are like increasingly number of um, kind of channels that people can um, use if they have. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are very generous in China, um, but right now, what we're what both of our organizations are trying to do is to make it more strategic, mm -hmm. so that people can really think um, clearly about their theory of change, what they want to see as their impact, and be able to um, uh, be able to measure that and be more strategic in their uh, uh, philanthropic giving. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, it sounds like then the bulk of giving in China, which I assume is different in the United States, I don't know, but because we have such large, well-ensconced and well-endowed mm -hmm. big foundations yes. like Ford or Gates, Gates or yeah. those, 
that when we think of philanthropy in this country, we do think of it as coming from the large foundations as opposed from to individuals. Um, but it sounds like in China, it's the individuals that are making up the largest amount of money that's going into philanthropy. Is that Am I reading that incorrectly, or is that? Well, I think um, there's a lot of inter individual interest, but I would say actually it's still fairly small. Mm -hmm. um, there's some, um, like um, Rachel's organize, uh, Ning's organization <laughs> does uh, uh, educate yeah, yeah, do. uh, high net worth donors, and mm -hmm. they still make up the majority, I would say, of um, philanthropic donations and corporations as well. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a growing interest from individuals and more platforms for them to give online. And these high net worth donors that you deal with, Ning, are yeah. they um, individuals that you're tapping who are giving generously, or have are these people who have at least founded their own, whether family or company, foundation? So are they giving it as individuals, or are they giving as part of a larger entity that yeah. they have Established. Yeah, I think they were now using very formal channels, like as you mentioned, as foundations or their charities is to see giving money, receiving money. So usually they become the grant making foundations, family, both are like the family foundations, corporate foundation. So every year we now launch in a program called Top 100 philanthropists in China. So to looking at who are the China's most generous people and what they're giving for, where they're from, mm -hmm. and what the age group, so what they're giving interest. So uh, the data shows in 2016, there is 5.5 uh, .5 billion USC dollars giving from those 100 people. That is in looking at the last year's data, 2015, so you can see their giving is take up for about 12, for about 12 percent, is one ace of the national giving in total, so mm -hmm. it's really fairly uh, big trends, and uh, 81 percent giving for their giving is going through their foundation, so you can see uh, they are now using very formal and strategic ways to do philanthropy by themselves, and six out of ten RMB giving locally. So they're quite focused on their, you know, community issues and local issues. Uh, the new, new, very interesting new trends I can share here is uh, there, uh, the giving diversity is changing in 2016 compared to the 2015. In 2015, we're looking at the, those uh, 100 people in, in China. They're fairly focused on traditional issues like health care, poverty, and children's care. But in 2016, because of a lot of new millennials and some a lot of people's coming into that list, you can see the their focus on different, like the cutting edge scientific research become the mm -hmm. focus, and cultural heritage, mm -hmm. education, innovation, and technology. Mm -hmm. So there, we actually seeing very happily to see that as the. Uh, the, the trend is of diversity because uh, people can always find their own way of their philanthropic path. That's a good thing. Yeah, That's really very interesting. I was going to ask you what the future trends are, and, and you've yeah. laid them out very succinctly there. So very briefly is our last question. What got each of you involved in philanthropy? Why did you choose this for yourselves? Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I got involved uh, through uh, at college. So I went to Yale uh, for under my undergrad, mm -hmm. and I studied economics like most Asian <laughs> kids. Um, but uh, one of the courses at Yale uh, was a philanthropy course. Um, it was open to all all majors, and um, as part of the course, they gave us a hundred thousand U.S. dollars to manage and said as a know, class, as a class, mm -hmm. um, not as an individual. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that would be very yeah. nice. And um, with the mission of make the most impact possible with mm. this money um, so it was a huge responsibility and is one of them I think one of the most hands-on classes I've uh, taken um, and it really inspired me to think about philanthropy as not just something that wealthy people or people um, who are a lot more experienced and mature uh, can go into um, young people can also be involved um, and there are ways where we could um, leverage our existing assets and resources to make a greater impact um, so after that I was um, in China and I worked for a foundation and also thought about ways where we could engage more of the millennial generation and this type of approach um, and so um, I took a lot of the um, inspiration from the Yale course um, in mm -hmm. starting my own current mm -hmm. organization. And then you returned to Hong Kong where you're from and yeah, so I grew up started, in you Good. started the fund yeah. there and that's where you're based. Yes, and we now also have programs um, uh, with students coming in from mainland China and the rest of the world. That's wonderful. It's very inspiring. And Ning, how about you? Yeah, I actually very similar, but I'm from the classroom uh, of cultivation of philanthropy, but I actually uh, used to be a teacher that is uh, teaching English in uh, high school in China's public, top public schools. And when I was there, I was um, engaged in a lot of youth-focused programs. So I volunteered as several programs leaders. Like, for example, I took uh, tw 21 students going to Chiang Mai, working with mm -hmm. the local Habitat for Humanities mm -hmm. and help the uh, post-disaster area, the poor family to build a house. So these are a lot of experience and events that made me to think, how can I to create a lot of social change that's through learning or through education. So that's why I decided to go into London mm. to learn and to have uh, a further master learning about education and international development. When I was there, and I actually have one event very uh, inspiring to me, that is I was uh, uh, I actually attending a program that's called uh, Roundtable on uh, Education and International uh, development that's organized by OECD, UNESCO, and IEP. Um, during that, the program, we have a lot of discussions within the international development and the philanthropy issues. So um, for me, I think when I finished my learning there, so I decided going to um, China and Beijing and to join the, the my institute now. So later, there is one fellowship that I think is very um, has a great impact to my uh, future career and to think about more in-depth uh, changing for the civil society. That is, I, you know, I'm National Committee Fellow, so I'm very happy and honored to be chosen as a professional fellow here. So it was based in Harvard Kennedy School to learn about public policy, social policies that are shaping the societies to create and to um, leverage a lot of social benefit. Yeah, that is why Yeah, I think we both are very interesting by using like the education as a soft way to changing the society. 
Well, that's wonderful. I, I have great admiration for both of you, and we're very pleased that you've joined us this afternoon and hope all our listeners will have learned something useful and valuable and interesting from our conversation. Thank you both very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having us.